Thank you. Thank you. You guys can be seated. It's uh, always a pleasure to come and, and be with Forever Church, to be with Pastors Brad and Sarah, and I'm going to be ministering prophetically over them uh, before the morning is out. But, oh, you are a pretty good-looking bunch of people. Look at your neighbor and say, you look pretty good today. How, how many of you guys were, how many of you were not at the conference? You were not at the conference. Okay. Like three of you. Okay. So, um, let, let me say this is that, um, at the, uh, I'll just kind of quickly catch you up with a theme that we've kind of been keeping with over the last several days. Um, and that is that on the morning of August 6th, my first morning here before we started conference, I had a dream that involved um, seeing some of the angelic force, the angelic host that God has sent to co-labor with you here in Australia to see awakening and breakthrough happen. And in the dream, they were called the four horsemen of awakening. How many, how many um, uh, uh, have ever heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Okay, they're a different bunch of four angels, okay? <laughs> they bring like death and destruction and famine and war and nothing good. But the, these four horsemen really had to do with um, revival, awakening, breakthrough, miracles. How many of you need some breakthrough in your life? Amen? How many of you need maybe some miracles in your family or in your finances or in your health? And, and, and you're really pressing into the Lord to say, God, you know, I've come to the point that I've recognized I really can't do this by myself. How many know if you can get it yourself, it's probably not a miracle? Okay. And it's one thing to say, yes, God's going to send miracles. It's another thing to actually need miracles. The only thing is, is that what we have to understand is that you don't actually get a miracle unless you need a miracle. So it's kind of the good news, bad news sort of thing. And so this morning when I was praying about kind of what to, to, to speak to this church, I really felt that the Lord said that this church is really going to be a church of champions. A real church of champions that are going to uh, have a capacity to really carry the boldness of the Lord, carry the success of the kingdom, carry uh, the anointing of power for miracles in every one of your lives, that God wants to give good success. God is bringing you into a season of increase, of expansion, of acceleration. God is going to bring a multiplication to this house, even over this next uh, couple of year period of time. Really an explosive growth is going to come. And God is really going to be looking at each and every one of you to rise up and be the champions that God has asked you to be to help uh, to, to bring forth the building over this next season of time. Now, when I saw this dream, and I won't go into the rest of the dream, I preached on it last night, but it was very, it was just kind of an interesting unfolding because uh, in the dream, they were called the four horsemen of awakening. And in my dream, they were linked arm in arm together. And I told my husband all about it the next morning and was explaining to him how they were pre presenting a united front in linking arm to arm for this place of breakthrough. And that night, as Prophet Greg Bailey got up and began to preach, at the very end of his message, he actually had everybody stand up and go uh, make a, a giant circle around the room representing a circling around Australia, what God wanted to do around Australia. And he had us link arm in arm. And I knew at that moment that God was saying that he is actually having heaven 
partner with the church here in Australia in a whole new way. You know what that means? That means that heaven is partnering with you. And God is looking for the champions. And so as I, we went home and I got really excited by that, I went home and I started sharing the dream that I'd had with prophets Greg and Julie. And they started explaining to me about the part of your history that at that day, August the 6th, was actually a very significant time in history when the Anzac um, army actually won a tremendous battle at the Battle of Lone Pine in Gallipoli against impossible odds. And as we kind of started researching this out, we found out that one of the, the main parts of that army was something called the light horsemen. So isn't it interesting that God began to speak to this nation in terms of horsemen? And so uh, we know that at the battle of Gallipoli, that they actually were the ones that turned the tide of battle and brought a new momentum. Amen. The, the name of this, the name of this uh, conference was momentum. How many have ever watched a, smor- a sports match? Perhaps like when um, Australia beat New Zealand <laughs> last night. I just thought I'd mention that because I understand. Ha- oh, half your church are Kiwis. Okay, so we just introduced a spirit of division. That was good. Okay. <laughs> but how, how many have ever how many have ever watched a sports match and your team is losing? How many have ever watched that? And you're like, oh, no, come on, guys, get it together. And then suddenly it's like two or three things will happen that all of a sudden turn the whole tide. It changes the momentum of the game, and your, and your team comes back and wins. Come on. They, they actually call that a momentum shift. And so, see, I believe that God is raising up champions that want to bring a momentum shift into the land. I believe that your church, you're going to actually be able to point back to this last weekend and be, and to this season of settling into your new place and say, you know what? We just experienced a momentum shift where it seemed so hard to, to build, to grow, to establish, to expand. It seemed like everything was hard. It seemed like everything was press, press, press. Now it feels like God's given us an easy button. Come on. Yeah. You bring on the easy button, amen. That's what I'm saying. When there's a momentum shift, it's like you go from everything working against you to now it seems like everything's working for you. And I felt like when I came in today, the Lord was saying, this is the season for forever church, not just CI Australia and what God's wanting to establish in this entire nation. But this is a season of momentum shift for forever church. And that God is looking at all of you to say, will you be my horsemen? Will you be my champions that will rise up and be willing to take on new responsibilities, new challenges, to believe God, to begin to show up in your life and your circumstances, and to begin to see victories come at impossible odds for the glory of the kingdom of God. Amen? So, so we, we saw that that, that uh, first night was actually the 100-year anniversary of that particular battle. But over the next couple of days, I just kept reading about the horsemen because that was how God defined this spirit of breakthrough that God was releasing into this nation. And I found a story about the 800 horsemen at Beersheba. And what was very interesting is that this was, this was the tipping point battle This was the momentum-shifting battle that ended up breaking open 
Israel, the territory of Israel, so that Israel could once again fulfill the prophetic word that God had declared over it and become a nation again. How many know that that prophecy was given 2,000 years ago, or actually longer than that, about 3,500 years before, that God prophesied that Israel would one day not be a nation, but then that one day God would bring it back and become a nation? How many understand that God sees the end from the beginning? Isn't that cool? And so this was actually a breaker moment that caused the destiny of nations to be changed. And I believe that God is looking at this church saying, if you'll rise up and be champions, I will give you the capacity to be history makers, to be history changers. Amen. So I just want to read you this little story just to, to help you to see this kind of anointing that God wants to release upon this church. Amen. Upon the people of this church, upon the people of this house. Amen. And it's interesting that, that when I first started reading about the battle of Beersheba, the 800 light horsemen. Um, last night I preached about how God wanted to manifest himself as El Olam, the God that keeps covenant generation to generation, the everlasting God, that God was watching over this nation long before you ever were a nation, long before you were ever settled. God was actually watching over this whole territory of Australia. It's a miracle that it wasn't settled by Muslims and completely taken over and made a Muslim territory before the Christians came and settled it. That's absolutely a miracle. God kept this land for his purposes. But what I was talking about last night is God keeping covenant generation to generation. This is a generational church. Amen. It started out of generation. There's a generational blessing. That means that as you're part of this church, I want you to have an expectation for your generations to be blessed. Your parents' generation, your grandparents' generation, your children's generations, your children's children's generation. And if you've got faith for it, your children's 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 generation. Because God's a generational God. He's a God that keeps covenant generation to generation. And so when I started studying this battle of Beersheba, I found something very interesting. Is that Beersheba actually means the well of covenant. The well of covenant. So here God's talking about horsemen. And he's talking about covenant all in this battle. I want to read it to you, just a little write-up that I had about this particular battle to see the spirit of the champion that God wants to raise up in this church. It says, Beersheba, meaning the well of covenant, so named by Abraham in the book of Genesis. The well had provided water not only to Abraham, but to Moses and David. Can you see the generational blessing? Any army approaching its life-giving wells has to march for days through the waterless Sinai desert. Some of you feel like you've been marching for days through the spiritual desert. All the Turks had to do was hold off an attack for one day. And the merciless, merciless desert sun would do the rest. Despite constant assaults by the combined forces of the British and the Australian armies, the place could not be taken. How many of you feel like you're facing some situations in your life that you feel like cannot be taken? It seems that like the odds are so against you and it's so impossible. It seemed like the place could not be taken. Then came the fateful day of October 31st, 1917. When I started reading this, I just got excited about that date because I'm a student of history. And I knew that October 31st, 1917 was actually the 400-year anniversary of the Second Reformation. When Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Church and said, the just shall live by faith. Amen? 
It's, it's a very significant time in church history. And on that same day, 400 years later, here you have the Australian Light Horse Army at this place called Beersheba. The generals were desperate. 50,000 British infantry with tank support have been driven back into the desert. With the sun about to set and no water for many miles, disaster stared them squarely in the face. I want to say this to you. The brink of disaster... And the brink of the miraculous supernatural look exactly the same. Some of you feel like you're on the brink of disaster. But God wants you to see it differently. You're actually on the brink of a miracle. Amen. With the son of... Okay, so they were staring him squarely in the face. The Australian light horse commander, Chavel's orders were to storm Beersheba. It had to be won before nightfall at all costs. The situation was becoming grave as they were in urgent need of 400,000 gallons of water for men and horses. Chavel concocted a crazy plan. I think God's given you pastors that are going to concoct some crazy plans. And some of you are going to look at them and go, that sounds crazy. I want you to remember what I said. It might sound crazy, but it's God. (laughs) Okay? They said, why not let these 800 horsemen charge the Turkish Turkish artillery? A cavalry charge across 6,000 yards of open terrain straight into the face of the massed Turkish guns. It sounded like a recipe for disaster. No wonder the German officer commanding the Turkish defenses described the Aussie light horsemen as madmen. Look at your neighbor. No, don't say anything. Okay. For a start, the light horse were not cavalry. They were mounted infantry. They had no swords or lances. They were equipped with rifles and bayonets designed for infantry warfare. But left with virtually no alternative, the desperate general gave the order for the last great cavalry charge in history. The 800 young men mounted their magnificent horses and lined up to face the Turkish guns. Their young faces bronzed and tanned from the desert sun. Their emu plumes swaying in the breeze from their famous slouch hats. Rifles swung across their backs and bayonets in hand. History was about to be written. Do you hear this? History was about to be written. I believe here in Australia and here in Forever Church, history was about to be written. These 800 young men were about to open the doorway to the liberation of Jerusalem. I believe that God wants to give this church an authority in the spirit that you can open a doorway to the liberation of the neighborhoods of South Brisbane, then to Brisbane, then to Sydney, then to to north and south and east and west. Come on, God wants to give influence in this church and that breaker anointing of champions to begin to arise, to open up things that have not been opened before and to begin to bring a liberty and a freedom that comes by the power of God because you decided to rise up and be a champion. The light horsemen charged magnificently across the dusty plains so fast that the Turkish artillery could not keep pace with them and the mad horsemen were able to slip under their guns. As they leapt the trenches laced with massive gunfire, a magnificent cheer went up from the British ranks. Even some of the Turks, the enemy, stood and applauded. So magnificent was the feat. Come on, God's going to bring us into a time when we're going to amaze our enemies. Come on, you know what that says? That says that the enemy applauded them and cheered them. Wow. 
Although hopelessly outnumbered and outgunned, they charged on. Beersheba, the gateway to Jerusalem, fell that day, not to the British, German, or U.S. armies, but to the Australian light horsemen. Ultimately, this act of bravery paved the way for the birth of modern day, the modern-day nation of Israel. Those were Aussies, guys. And I believe that same spirit of the champion is alive and well in this nation. We talked about how the enemy had tried to weave a, a web of apathy, of complacency, of, uh, of dull-mindedness and, and, and independence. But I'm telling you, none of those things were present that day. They were champions. They had overcome the apathy. They had overcome their own independence. They understood they had to fight as a core. They understood that they had to fight as a unit to be able to see the victory come. And God has been knitting this church together. God has been using circumstances. He's been using trials and tribulations. He's been using things that you seem like it, it was like, God, why does it seem like things just don't seem to work out the way that we thought they were going to work out? Because God was weaving you together as a unit, as a core, as one man, so that you can begin to see victories come. And when the person sitting next to you gets a victory, you get a victory. Come on. Their victory is your victory. Your victory is their victory. And God is setting you up to see victory after victory, miracle after miracle, financial breakthroughs, physical breakthroughs, family breakthroughs, generational breakthroughs, business breakthroughs. Come on, this church is breaking through. Even coming into your new place that you're coming into over this next season of time, this next establishment, this next new place is actually going to be a fresh new start. And you're going to actually find that everything that you've worked for for the last five years, you're going to go back and look back on it and say, wow, you know what? We are so thankful for all the hard times that we went through because it made us ready for this next stage and this next season that God's bringing us into. This word isn't just to this house. It's to your house. Come on, it's to your house. God's bringing your house. God's bringing your life into a time of breakthrough. To me, one of the best examples in scripture, and I'm just going to read a few scriptures about this champion heart, this champion spirit, is the, the champion heart of the man David. And this is a house of David. David was a reformer. Okay, David was a king. David was a worshiper. I'm going to prophesy a little bit about what God's going to do through your worship here in this place. A little later on. I mean, it's going to be a phenomenal thing that God's going to do. David was a worshiper, but he's also a warrior. Come on. David was a man that was not will that, that was, uh, that was, that had a great heart. He understood the principles of the kingdom. And the truth of the matter is I teach an entire 12 hour course on David, but I'm going to give you three basic points that I want to focus on today. Okay. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to first Samuel chapter 16. And I want to talk about this, this spirit of the champion that was in David that I believe is also in this church. You know, in Acts chapter 13, this is, what, this is what Paul said about David. He quotes and he says that the Lord said, I found David, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And I believe that's what the Lord's speaking even to this church today. I'm finding a people that are like David. Men and women who are after my heart. Men and women who have determined, I'm going to do God's will. You know what? That's why you're here. You're here because there's something that resonates with you that says, you know what? I don't want to just be casual, comfortable Christianity. 
that doesn't make any difference. I don't want to just come together and hear a nice little sweet message on Sunday that charges me up for a few hours and then go and live my life with no victory, with no authority, with no power to change anything. God's saying, you know, you, you come here because you're saying I'm willing to pay a price. I want to serve God with all my heart, all my soul, all my desires. And I want to do God's will above everything else in my life. That's why David, listen, David was one of the most flawed leaders. He, crea- he, he committed some of the worst sin of some of the leaders that are in the Bible. I mean, you know, like he broke some of the top ten commandments. Murder, adultery. He failed in a major way. And yet Jesus said, he's a man after my own heart. Some of you might feel like, you know what, I, I'm flawed, I'm broken, I've made mistakes. But the Lord is looking for that heart of David that says, you know, if I turn back to the Lord, God can raise me up anyway. Come on, God loves to take people that have been broken and make them people of breakthrough. Amen? Matter of fact, I don't really trust somebody that says they carry an authority that haven't been through any breaking. (laughs) I don't really trust them if they haven't been through something. Okay? So let's just look at this. 1 Samuel chapter 16, this is the call of David. We're all familiar with this passage in this story. But my, my first point, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is that a champion does not despise the day of small beginnings. Pastors Brad and Sarah do not despise the day of small beginnings. You're going to look back on this tight knit little intimate group with fond memories. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. <laughs> Amen. First Samuel 16, 7, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, okay, this is when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel. Saul had been king, and then Saul had, you know, basically the mantle of leadership had lifted off of him because he refused to obey God. And, uh, and then so Samuel came to, uh, to um, Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons king. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. When he went to anoint Eliab, this tall, good-looking, broad-shouldered guy that was the the head of the family, the, the oldest child. And basically God said, look, I'm not looking at what he looks like. That's not who I'm calling. He says, because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let me tell you, this is one of the big, the big things that I love about the leaders that are in CI. CI Australia, CI US, CI throughout the world, is that they may not look like they've got everything together, but what God is looking at is the heart. The heart to say, God, I will sacrifice whatever I have to sacrifice. I will lay down whatever I have to lay down. I will do whatever I have to do. I know, we know the journey that prophets Greg and Julie have been on for the last 20-something years. It's not been a pretty one. It's not been an easy one. But they've been committed to the call of God on their lives. And they've been committed to keep a right heart even when circumstances did them wrong. Even when people did them wrong. God does not look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. God's looking for champions. Verse 12. So he sent and brought David in. 
And he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. From that day forward. Because you see, God saw something in David. That's what I love about the prophetic. Is that God will begin to speak to the seeds of destiny in people's hearts and people's lives long before they're ready to actually rise up and start doing that destiny. I want you to know David got that awesome prophetic word, went right back out into the field and kept tending the sheep. He didn't go out and have King David business cards printed and start handing them out throughout Jerusalem. Okay, he, he got this great prophetic word, but then he just kept doing the work of service, kept doing the work of serving, serving his father's house. Uh, 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 Prophet Julie did this great message yesterday. But we have to understand that when God's word comes to us, God begins to speak to us about the destiny, the purpose, the, the spiritual DNA that he's put inside of us. And if you're getting a true prophetic word, God's going to speak things to you that at times you're going to hear and go, that's not me. I could never do that because God will always speak his potential to you, not your potential to you. Amen. Cause God created us and God knows exactly what he put inside of you when he created you. I want you to understand that a little acorn, do you have oak trees here? Acorns and oak trees. Okay. We have a tree in America. That's a massive, huge tree. And it starts like most trees as a little seed. Okay, inside that little seed is a mighty oak tree. Come on. Inside that mighty oak, that, that little seed is a mighty oak tree of destiny. Uh, a man named John Mason one time said that a giant tree is just a little nut that held its ground. Okay. Some of you are getting a revelation about yourselves now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But that, but that acorn has everything that it needs inside of it to become a mighty oak tree. God has put everything inside of you to make you a champion that can change the world. We need to understand that there's destiny inside of us. There's seeds of destiny that are inside of us. And until we leave this world to go to heaven to be with Jesus, God's constantly going to be tapping in to that spiritual DNA and bringing out different new gifts and callings and abilities that you never even knew were in there. God's put more in you than you even realize. But what happens is that so often we judge ourselves, we judge others, and we judge our circumstances based on what we see with our natural eye. Let me say this to you. How many of you have had a prophetic word? How many of you have had more than one prophetic word? How many of you have maybe had quite a few prophetic words? I want to say this to you. Those prophetic words are like that seed of destiny. And you can take that seed of destiny and you can carry it around with you. You can look at it. You can marvel in it. You can get excited about it. You can show it to your friends. You can play your prophecies for your, for your family. You can get super excited about it. But that prophecy, that prophetic destiny that is a seed, it will do you no good until you plant it somewhere. You can carry that little nut around with you the rest of, the, of your life, and it is not going to produce that destiny until you find a place to plant it. That's what the local church is about. Planting your destiny in a local church.
planting your destiny in a place where, guess what? People might rub you the wrong way. That probably doesn't happen here, right? (laughs) Your destiny won't be fulfilled until you form covenantal relationships with others. Plant your destiny. Plant that seed. Plant those prophetic words and watch and see what God does. Because you know what? Sometimes we judge things wrongly by just looking at the outward, the, the outward expression of what, what we're seeing. And sometimes we can, it may look right to the eye, but it may not exactly be right. I want to read you just a little example, kind of a funny little letter that um, this, is, this is not real. Okay, this is just a, an allegory, okay? But it is a memo that is written to Jesus of Nazareth by the Jerusalem Management Consulting Firm. Okay? It says, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men that you've picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken a series of tests, and we've not only run the reviews through our computer, but we have also conducted an in-depth interview with each of them by our staff psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profile of all the tests are included, and you'll want to study each of them carefully. But it is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, educational, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you're trying to undertake. They do not have the team concept. And we would highly recommend that you continue your search for persons with more experience, higher qualifications, and greater managerial abilities. For example, Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew simply has no qualities of leadership at all. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty and are quite boisterous. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine the morale among the ranks. It is also our duty to inform you that the Better Business Bureau of Greater Jerusalem has received reports on Matthew regarding questionable business practices. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings and both demonstrate attitude problems which would, pre- which would present difficulty in their dealing with the public. However, one of your candidates shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in all the right places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, responsible, and is not afraid to take the initiative. Yes, we recommend Judas Iscariot as the most qualified of all your prospective candidates. We hope to hear from you soon. You get the point. Bishop Hammond loves to say God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen? If you're a champion, you're going to learn that God's seeds of destiny are in you. But destiny is not a destination. Destiny is not some point out there in your future that you're aiming for. Your destiny is right now. The choices you make right now will determine are you going to be a champion or not. Are you going to rise up and fulfill your destiny or not? Your destiny is right now. Some of you look super sad about that, okay? (laughs) Let me ask you this question. When did Jesus fulfill destiny? At what point did he fulfill destiny? Most people say when he died on the cross. Yes, that was part of his destiny. But I want to say that Jesus was fulfilling destiny from the foundation of the world. 
Because the scripture says he was slain from the foundation of the world. He was fulfilling destiny when he spoke the world into existence. You realize that was Jesus, the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were created by him, and there was not anything made that was made without his voice. Jesus created the world. He, cre- he was the creator. He was speaking the word, calling out of nothing, calling light out of darkness, calling, calling uh, a creation out of nothing. He was fulfilling destiny at that point. He was fulfilling destiny when he was conceived as a tiny little baby in the womb of a virgin. He was fulfilling destiny. He was fulfilling destiny when he was born of that virgin, when he had to flee to Egypt to run away from the people that tried to kill him. Come on. He was fulfilling destiny as he was raised up for 30 years, faithful in his father's house, not doing one miracle, not preaching one sermon, not doing, casting out one devil. He was fulfilling destiny. Yes, he was fulfilling destiny. The three and a half years that he walked among the crowds and cast out devils and healed the sick and raised the dead and and preached the gospel of the kingdom. Yes, he was fulfilling destiny when he hung on the cross. Yes, he was fulfilling destiny when he was resurrected from the dead. But let me tell you, Jesus is still fulfilling destiny because my Bible tells me that he is seated at the right hand of God and right now is making intercession for you and I. Jesus continues to fulfill destiny because in Revelation it says that there's coming a time when he's going to come back on a white horse from heaven and he's going to judge and make war, Jesus still has a destiny to fulfill. Come on, so when are you going to fulfill destiny? It's the things that you've been doing. It's the the choices you're making today. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Do not get weary in well-doing. Do not get frustrated with the process because destiny always has a process. David had a destiny to be a king. And here's what happened. He gets this great prophecy. He goes out and he tends the sheep. The day comes when he goes out to battle and he kills Goliath. We'll read that in just a second. He goes out and he kills Goliath and he marries the king's daughter. Can you just think, think how David's thinking about this prophetic word. I'm just a shepherd boy. I've just gotten this word. I'm going to be the king over this great empire. I have no idea how that's going to happen. How in the world could that ever happen? He goes to the battlefield. He kills this giant. He marries the king's daughter. He moves into the palace. What do you think? Do you think he's thinking, oh, now I see how this is going to work. I'm the son-in-law of the king. This is so cool. I mean, the, the crowds are chanting for me. Everybody loves me. I'm married to the king's beautiful daughter. This is awesome. I see how this prophecy is going to happen. How many recognize that's not how it happened? How many know that that same father that was the king tried to kill him? How many know that he had to actually run from his life and year after year after year had to hide out in caves? (laughs) Some of us have gotten a little discouraged because maybe God's prophetic promise to us didn't happen the way we thought it should have happened. Didn't get fulfilled the way we thought it should have got fulfilled. Maybe we feel like God's a little late. But I'm telling you, if you stay faithful in the process, God will fulfill every word. My father-in-law, the the bishop of this ministry, 61 years in ministry now, by the way. 61 years in ministry. And he actually had things fulfilled 
in his 50th year of ministry that were prophesied at his ordination. How many of you are now going, I hope it's not going to take me 50 years, okay? (laughs) But how many are saying, I am willing to stay in God's process until every single thing that God has promised to me comes to pass, amen? It doesn't happen overnight. Come on, it doesn't happen overnight. But if we stay in the process, if we stay faithful to the things that God has spoken, God will raise you up as a champion that can change the world. Amen? David got this great opportunity. He gets this prophetic word. He goes out to kill Goliath. I know I'm kind of backtracking. But let me just read this just for a second. He goes out to the battlefield, and he finds out that there's this giant Philistine that's mocking the people of Israel. See, a champion will always rise to meet a challenge. Not shrink back from it. Not, I mean, think about those 800 light horsemen. Think what they, the challenge they had to rise to. Impossible odds. How many know David against Goliath? Impossible odds. Some of the things you might be facing, some of the things that you might need to fulfill the destiny that God's prophetically spoken to you may look like impossible odds, but a champion will always rise to meet the challenge. A champion will always hear what God says about the situation instead of what the circumstance says about the situation. Because God, God's word sees it from a different perspective. 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. And David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? See, see, David was a good Jewish businessman already as a little young shepherd boy. He's going, what's in this for me? (laughs) For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered to him in in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few smelly little sheep in the wilderness? Or shouldn't you be out tending the sheep? And he says, listen, David, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've said, I want to come down and see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Listen forever, church. Listen, church of champions. There's a cause. There's a cause. This church didn't just get started because Brisbane needed another church. It got started out of a prophetic vision. It got started out of a prophetic purpose. It got started because this church is going to be raised up to have a certain dynamic that isn't necessarily in other churches. It's got a certain personality, a certain kingdom calling. It's got a certain spiritual DNA inside of it that is going to cause it to be a church of overcomers, a church of champions. Here's the thing. How many want to be overcomers? It is a trick question. Because if you're going to be an overcomer, that means you're going to have to overcome some things. How many love victory? Another trick question. There is no victory without a battle. Come on. Hopefully that's bringing things into perspective. Some of you have felt weary. Some of you have felt worn out. I'm telling you, there is a cause. It's a kingdom cause. It's a nation-changing cause. It's a life-changing cause. It's a family-changing cause. It's a death-breaking cause. Death-destroying cause. God is raising you up. God is raising you up. 
God's looking for that revolutionary champion anointing. Three things that David needed to, to beat Goliath. Number one, he needed vision. He needed a vision. That's why this is a prophetic church. We've been pastoring a prophetic church for over 30 years. Let me just say this, is that sometimes <laughs> when you're in the middle of your own thing, it feels like you've got a word for everybody else, but you have no word for yourself. <laughs> Why? I mean, we, we got together as elders and we were dealing with a situation and we were like, well, let's pray. Hello, we believe in the voice of God. Let's see what God has to say. Let's see if the prophetic word can be released. Our daughter, Crystal, she's been here to Australia with us for um, several different times. And, and uh, a few years ago, she really felt she was working for us. She was my right-hand person. She worked in our church and traveled with me and, and uh, lived, lived with us. Um, and she had gone off and, and had done some different schooling, done some different, lived in some different cities. And then she came home and was living with us. And she started getting a lot of prophetic words that God was going to shift her out of being in a full-time ministry kind of scenario, and God was going to take her out into secular environments and give her a secular job because there was a sec- there were some things in the secular world that she needed to rise up in. How many understand that God's not just looking for people that are just ministry or just secular, but he really wants to marry the two together, okay? And so she'd been raised in ministry. This, that's, this church is going to have that, that, that very, very unique personality of marketplace and ministry married together. Amen? And so, so she was really praying about that. And we were coming home from an overseas trip. And she said to me, Mom, I feel like the Lord spoke to me that it's time for me to transition out of working at the church. And I really feel like the Lord said, I'm going to um, move to a big city and step into some of the secular things that God's been speaking to me about. And we, my husband and I bore witness about it. And I said to her, so do you have any idea where you're going to go? And she goes, well, no, that's just it. I don't really know. I just feel like it'll be a big city. And I said, okay, well, let's, we've got a prophet coming in uh, this weekend, uh, prophet Leon, uh, apostle Leon that was coming in. And uh, I said, you know what? Let's not tell him anything. Let's just let him prophesy over you. And let's just see what the Lord says. So that weekend, Apostle Leon came in, he lays hands on her, and he says, and the Lord says, I'm getting ready to move you to a big city. And the Lord said, but I'm not going to show you where you're going until it's time for you to go. And I'm not going to show you why you're going until you get there. And so when she came out of the prophetic word, she was kind of like, okay, I don't know anything. <laughs> So over the course of time, she comes to me and she goes, mom, you're a prophet. Pray and just see if the Lord will show you where I'm supposed to be. So I prayed and I said, Crystal, I really feel like the Lord said he was going to show you. So then she went to her dad. Dad, you hear from God? <laughs> do, you, do you feel anything? Are you leaning one way or the other? Do you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you? You know, I mean, our kids have been raised hearing the voice of God. But how many know sometimes it's easier to hear God's voice for somebody else than it is for you? And so she asks us and we're like, you know, we just feel like the Lord's going to show you. So then she goes to her papa, Bishop, the father of the prophetic movement. And he comes back to her and he says, Crystal, I really felt like the Lord spoke to me. And she's like, yes. And he said, I really feel like the Lord spoke and said, he's going to show you when it's the right time. And Crystal comes home and she goes, what good are any of you? I've got a family full of prophets. What good are any of you? How many know sometimes we've got to get a vision for ourselves? We've got to know what God is saying to us personally. 
We've got to grab a hold of it. I love the saying that says people of vision hear, see the invisible, hear the inaudible, believe the incredible, think the unthinkable so they can do the impossible. Come on. We want to jump into doing the impossible, but sometimes we're not going to jump into doing things that are impossible until we first start seeing the things that are invisible. And so God wants to kick the level of prophetic anointing in this church. I know you're already a prophetic church, but God wants to kick that level of anointing up to a whole new level. A whole new wind of the spirit, a whole new wind of the prophetic mantle. Some of you maybe even haven't thought, well, I'm not part of the prophetic people of this house, but I believe in this house. But let me tell you, God's going to start visiting you in dreams and visions. God's going to start pouring his spirit out. God's going to start opening up your eyes. You're going to start hearing the voice of God. And God's going to give you very clear spiritual discernment over this season of time because he says you need a vision. Not just you personally, this corporate church is going to come to a whole new place of understanding the calling and the dimension that God is bringing you into. David needed a vision to go face Goliath. He needed a vision to go out and, and understand what God had called him to do. He, uh, let me just read you this, this scripture, 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. It says, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you can't go with the Philistines to fight with him. You're, you're a youth and a man of war from, and he's a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Does he sound like a champion? I mean, he's taking a lion by his beard. Did you guys catch that part? Okay. <laughs> and punched it in the face and killed it. Rawr. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the, paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Okay. I don't think he actually did the cross. Okay. Go and the Lord be with you. I don't think Saul had a whole lot of hope. Come on. David had to get a vision and know who, it, who he was called to be. It gives you the ability to be a champion. Because once you get a vision, then you're going to need something else to go with that vision. You're going to need courage. Just because you've got a vision doesn't mean all of a sudden every devil is going to lay down and say, oh, no, they've got a vision. <laughs> it means you're probably going to have to fight, and it's going to take courage to fight. First thing David needed courage to do was face his own brothers. His brothers would have rather seen defeat at the hands of the Philistines than victory at the hands of their little brother. <laughs> Think about that. God wants us to pull for each other. We shouldn't be each other's challenge. We should be rooting for each other. We should be celebrating each other's victories. Come on, then he, had to, then he had to face Saul. He had to face his leader. Maybe God's put a vision inside of you. Rather than trying to figure out how to fulfill that separate from the house, you need to bring it into the house. Sit down and talk with your leaders about that vision. David actually went to Saul and said, this is my vision. And Saul argued with him. Your pastor might argue with you. He might say, that's good. That's, that's perfect. Let's do it another time or let's do it a different way. Or you know what? Let's not do it at all. 
It takes courage to face your leader with your vision. But our worship leader, Dean Mitchum, gave this great analogy one time, and he said this. He said, as a church, we've got a mission. As a worship leader, he's got a mission. But his mission is a sub-mission. Do you get the, the play on words? Your vision is only important as it comes into a place of being grafted in to the vision of the house and the vision of the whole. And God wants to show you how your vision can be a sub-vision. And guess what? That means that you may not get to do it the way you think it should be done. Sub-mission. Bringing it up under the vision so that the whole vision can be stronger. David needed courage. David needed courage to face all the adversaries. He needed courage long before he got on the battlefield with Goliath. He needed courage to rise up and say, I'm going to be a champion. Looks like things are stacked against me, but I'm going to be a champion. There's a cause. I'm going to be a champion. I love to preach about courage. Fear was probably my greatest stronghold. People would not necessarily guess that because I'm, I, I have learned to fake. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was, no, seriously, I had three brothers and I could never let my brothers know that I was afraid. So I, I always could carry it off that I wasn't afraid. It didn't change the fact that I was bound by a spirit of fear. Didn't change the fact that there were times when fear would rock me so hard, I would not know how to move forward. I had a call in my life when I was 16, first Christian in my family. I was just born again two years. God started speaking to me about traveling the nations, about preaching. I'd never even heard of a woman preacher at that point. God starts speaking to me about going to Bible college. So let me tell you, my parents were agnostic scientists. Think how excited they were going to be when their 16-year-old daughter said she was going to Bible college. <laughs> Literally what my dad said to me was, when you became a Christian, you threw your mind away. Because how can you believe that book of fairy tales? They didn't believe in the Bible. But over my dead body, are you going to throw your life away and go to some Bible college? It takes courage to face others with your vision. And I had to pray. I had to believe that God would show up in the midst of that. I, the, without going into the long story, let me just say this. My parents ended up paying my way through Bible college because God gave me favor with them because I kept my heart right. Hello. And now both my parents are Christians, and, uh, 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 and they celebrate everything that God does for me. Every special meeting we have at our church, my parents are sharing all over Facebook. I didn't even know my parents knew how to do Facebook, but they share it all over Facebook because God did a work in them. But it takes courage to stand up and say, you know what? This is what God's called me to. God's put a destiny, a calling inside of you. I had to overcome fear. I was bound by fear of the dark. I know that's ridiculous. I was 30 years old, couldn't be in a dark room. I was terrified. I was paralyzed by the dark. I was afraid of snakes, and I still come to Australia with all the deadly snakes you have. I was terrified of snakes. I wouldn't even go out of my house sometimes because I was so paralyzed by the fear of snakes. The Lord started teaching me a couple different things. He said that there's reasonable fears and there's unreasonable fears. Both are demonic spirit. Here's what we do. We repent of the unreasonable fears. How many think it's reasonable to be afraid of snakes? 
Yes, it's reasonable. Okay. How many think it's unreasonable to be afraid of the dark? You won't hurt my feelings if you raise your hand. Okay. Because I've gotten delivered from both of those. God delivered me from both of those areas of fear. Reasonable fear and unreasonable fear. Because you see what we do is that if we allow fear into our lives, and I'm talking to champions right now. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to face your fear and overcome it. Okay? There's no, there's no need for you to have courage if you're not afraid. <laughs> Come on. God helped me to get free of that. And one day the Lord said to me, how in the world are you going to deal with spiritual darkness if you're afraid of natural darkness? How in the world are you going to deal with spiritual snakes if you're afraid of natural ones? But here's what we do. We protect those areas of fear in our life. And we think that we're going to compartmentalize them and put them in this little place over here in our life. But what happens is because fear is a spirit, it begins to eat its way out of the compartment that we've safely put it in. And it starts to take over our lives. Give, have no mercy on the spirit of fear. If you're going to be a champion, you're going to have to rise up and recognize your fears. Fear of man, fear of failure, fear of lack, fear of whatever it is, fear of the devil. We need to get a revelation of how afraid the devil is of you. Seriously. We need courage. We need vision. We need courage to walk it out. And the third thing, and then we're going to pray is that we need follow through, follow through. Yay. We've got great vision. Okay. We've got the courage to do it. Now you got to actually follow through and do it. Listen to this scripture. <laughs> I love, I love David. He's just so awesome. First Samuel 17. So it was when the Philistine arose, verse 48, I'm sorry. 1748. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Now, I want to say that most of the church is running. They're just running the wrong way. Come on. God's looking for champions that will run to a battle that will run to a cause. He ran towards the army to meet the Philistine, and David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank deep into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. Then David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran, here he is running again, and stood over the Philistine, took the Philistine's sword, drew it out of his sheath, and killed him. I love this. It says it, he killed him, he cut off his head, and when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. So he didn't just kill him, then he cut off his head to make sure he's really dead. Come on. He didn't just set his phaser on stun, he went for the kill. Come on, we need to quit playing with the devil. We need to quit playing with spirits of darkness. We need to quit playing with the works of our flesh. We need to quit playing with those things that are going to sidetrack us and, and, and defeat us before we ever get out on the battlefield. David prophesied to Goliath. He said, listen, before he did this, he said, you come at me with the sword and a spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. 
This day, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. He started prophesying to David. He caused a momentum shift by the prophetic word that came out of his mouth. Some of you need to go home and start prophesying to some things. You need to start prophesying over your finances. You need to start prophesying over your rebellious teenage kids. Maybe stand outside their door when they're sleeping and start prophesying over them. Come on, it shifts an atmosphere. It changes the momentum. God's looking for a generation of champions. The light horsemen. God wants us to be a house of reformation, a house of awakening, a house of revival. I see, I see just uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young teenager and early 20-year-olds coming into this house. A massive outreach into campuses that's just going to begin to come in. And guess what? That means that there's going to need to be mothers and fathers ready. Come on, you can have a revival, but you've got to have some mothers and some fathers. One of the things that I appreciate about this, about this couple that's leading this, this church is that they're men and women of honor. And David was a man of honor. He had a heart of honor. He knew how to honor Saul. Okay, you realize Saul was trying to kill him. But David honored Saul. And David expected his men to honor Saul. Even though Saul was a crazy man. Okay? This, this is how deep honor was in David's heart. Is that when the word came that Saul had actually died on a battlefield. Now you would be thinking that Saul's been trying to kill David for over a decade. 13, 14 years. You would think that when word came that his big bad enemy was now dead that they would have celebrated. But if you'll read it in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 1, it actually says David wept. But here's the bigger part. It says, and his men wept. See, that honor was not just in David's heart. David had instilled honor in the hearts of his people. This is going to be a house of honor. You're going to know how to honor people. Honor one another. Honor those in your community. People will be drawn to this house because of the spirit of honor. David knew how to honor Saul, but he also knew how to honor the presence of the Lord. As a matter of fact, it's David that we get the tabernacle of David from. The place of worship. A place where musical instruments got created. A place where songs were written. An atmosphere of worship that broke open a whole new dimension over that land. Honor. Honoring others, honoring the Lord. This is a house of honor. You can feel it when you walk in.